Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 23, verses 29 to 36, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Danger of Hypocritical Religion. You don't have to read Jesus for very long and you're going to find him both a, a man of great devotion to God, but also a man who opposes and utterly condemns hypocritical religion. That is religion that is useless in reconciling a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to God. Religion that's about getting and maintaining one's own power rather than about blessing and benefiting and loving the other. Religion that's more concerned with tradition than with a human heart hunger to be free from sin and receive a new heart complete with new desires and a new way of living that sets the soul free. You see, hypocritical religion traps the human heart, whereas Jesus has come to give life and, as he said, that whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. We've been studying Matthew chapter 23, which is one of the most stinging denunciations that one can find in the Bible. And it's not a denunciation against the godless or the people ensnared in blatant sin. I mean, whatever form that sin might take. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, the Bible does say plenty of things against those who reject the knowledge of God. And, you know, as Romans 1 tells us, worship the creation rather than the creator. I mean, the Bible speaks readily against sins such as, you know, sexual sin or greed or theft or even failing to honor parents. It would be a tragic mistake to think that God overlooks the sins of the prostitutes and the tax collectors of Jesus' day. But in the case of these, what we might say are easily identifiable sins that Jesus offers hope and a chance to be forgiven and the offer to turn from sin and to him and to live. But when it comes to hypocritical religion, the stinging denunciation from the lips of Christ is without equal. So let's look at the denunciation, the woes, the warning, the the great judgment that's falling on religious hypocrites. And after we've done that, let's then return to our question. Why is this the most stinging denunciation that we find in the Bible? And why is it reserved for religious hypocrisy? I began this discussion yesterday by pointing out that Jesus uses the word woe seven times in this passage. You know, a woe is a warning of a horror that awaits someone in the future. Yesterday, we traced the first two woes. Number one, woe to those who through their religion close the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And two, woe to those who make converts that become twice as bad as the teachers who won them. The Pharisees had done that. And today we're going to consider the next five woes. Number three, woe to those who misuse the Bible. Yeah, you heard it. Woe to those who misuse the Bible. And here I'm reading Matthew 23, verses 16 to 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. 
See, the key to understand this woe is the biblical teaching about an oath. Let's go to a key teaching about this. It's found in Numbers 30, verse 2. It says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That is, the Bible commands that once you've made a pledge, or bound yourself in a contract of some sort, or made an oath, to which, you know, you pledge your behavior, you're obligated to keep that oath. It's simple. Don't make promises, promises you can't keep, and then after having done so, change your mind just because it's inconvenient. You might want to consider Psalm 15, verse 4, which is a description of a righteous man. It says of him that he fears the Lord and that he swears to his own hurt and does not change. That is, when he's made a promise, he keeps it, even if in keeping it, it causes him pain. Let's get back to Jesus' denunciation of hypocritical religion. The Pharisees had devised a series of oaths whereby they judged whether a person was required to keep the oath under all circumstances. That is, they fabricated escape clauses, and it all depended on how you made the oath. If your oath was made by mentioning the name of the Lord, well, that was binding. But if you subtly changed the wording, then you weren't bound. You can see how hair-splitting that was. You might swear by the temple, but if you did, you had an out. You didn't swear by the gold on the temple. It's a great, valuable metal that represented God. And then you had a way out. In other words, if someone said, wait, you made a promise to me. Perhaps it was in terms of a business arrangement that involved money. Well, the person might respond by saying, look, I swore by the temple, but I didn't swear by the gold, and it's the gold that's a reminder of God, not the temple. Where'd that idea even come from? And the answer is that it came from the Pharisees. They had devised a system under which various oaths gave various degrees of responsibility. It was a system that allowed for fudging the truth and making room for deceit. If you read your Bible, it was very clear the intent of the Bible. The intent is that God wants his people to be known as truth speakers. You can be counted on to speak truth. Knowing the truth, acting in the truth, speaking the truth, those are commands of God. Now, this is but one example as to how the Pharisees twisted the plain teaching of Scripture. And by the time you were instructed by the Pharisees, you're no longer paying attention to what the Bible said, but rather you're paying attention to what the Pharisees said. See, don't you know, there are a great many people today who base their lives on what their pastor said or what they heard in a podcast or on the radio or what they read in a book. And what's missing is a teacher that continually points them back to Scripture. Hypocritical religion, the religion of the Pharisees, is a religion that took away people's confidence in the Bible as the unchanging, authoritative Word of God and sowed doubt. I mean, after all, who are you to understand Scripture? Why, we, the, you know, the scholars who have authority, we've interpreted the Scripture for you, and we'll tell you what it says. Might we make a small observation here? I've become alarmed how few Christians today bring their Bible to church. And why is that? Well, it's because what they hear from the pulpit doesn't require a Bible. Well, perhaps. Or is it, as one woman once told me, she said, I find you interesting. And if I open my Bible, it's going to detract me from hearing what you say. By the way, on that last point, she actually meant that as a compliment. But I, for my part, took it as a stinging rebuke. If I was preaching in such a way that made the Bible a lesser issue than what I was saying, I was judged before God. 
The Pharisees were scripture twisters. Their followers cared a great deal more about oral traditions and the learned discussion of the rabbis than they did the actual words that were written in scripture. And that, says Jesus, is hypocrisy. They pretended to represent God even while they ignored what the written word of God had said. And so we've seen number three, that the measure of hypocritical religion is that it teaches its followers to trust their teachers rather than scripture. Woe to the hypocrites who do that. Number four, woe to those who neglect the central issues of the faith. Matthew 23, 23 to 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Let's deal with this, paying attention to this matter of tithing. You know, it's a biblical principle. And here, Jesus mentions that the tithing, which the Pharisees and the scribes did, was down to a tenth of their mint, their dill, and their cumin, which would have been gathered from their gardens. It's an interesting matter. In our day, we think of tithing of our income. But please remember that most of us have only our income. I mean, we don't have a garden harvest. You know, we go to a grocery store. We buy produce from our income that we've received. Well, that wasn't so in the first century world. If you're going to give to the Lord the first fruits of your harvest, it would mean giving the first tenth of everything that you had, and you have to pay attention to everything that you harvest. In order to keep that law, the Pharisees were extremely careful. How much mint have I harvested from my garden? I give to the Lord the first fruit of that. Now, please notice, Jesus is not chastising the Pharisees for doing that. Look at verse 23 again. He says, these you ought to have done. So, and by the way, I find it interesting that, you know, the great many modern day preachers that deny that tithing is a New Testament principle. But look, here in the New Testament, in Jesus himself, we have him speaking about the matter of tithing down to the detail. And he simply says, these you ought to have done. And for that reason, since Jesus says it ought to have been done, I just assume it ought to have been done. But, says Jesus, that's not where the weight of the law resides. We never get tired of hearing how listeners are impacted by the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. It's always such an honor when you take the time to let us know the ways you've been encouraged. One Back to the Bible Canada listener recently wrote, I'm grateful for your encouraging and truthful teaching of God's Word. May God continue to richly bless this ministry. Susan, a listener of Laugh Again with Phil Calloway wrote, I would like to thank you from the bottom of my heart. There are so many days in which I need a boost of encouragement and an uplifting perspective on life. I love the way you approach each day with a smile. Thanks for making me laugh. If you'd like to share with us your spiritual journey and how it's been impacted through these ministries, don't hesitate to do so. Just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. What a tragedy it would be if a preacher or a theologian or a Bible teacher correctly taught the law of tithing and all the while neglected the gospel of salvation from sin. Clearly, the matter of our salvation is of greater weight than the matter of tithes. 
Notice our text. Jesus said there are weightier matters of the law, and he mentions three things. He says justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Let's take each one, one at a time. Justice. It's doing what's right. It's holding of those things which are moral and righteous and are ethical. It means we don't lie, we don't cheat, steal, or act in any way that's out of keeping with God's standards. To do justice is to treat our neighbor with equity. But notice that Jesus couples the need for justice with the need for mercy. And because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if all we stressed was justice, we would stress condemnation of all. There must be a combination of justice and mercy. For if there's only justice, no one will stand. The gospel is the balance of justice and mercy. Christ hanging on the cross is an expression of the justice of God. The Father is saying, in the sufferings of the Son, this is what justice requires for our sin. As our sin bearer, Jesus suffered the justice of God. But the cross is also an expression of mercy, for it is at the cross that we experience mercy. The cross is where justice and mercy meet. And since we have such an example in the cross, this example helps Christians to know how to deal with those who sin against us and also those who sin against God. It must be both justice and mercy. You see, if it's only mercy, well, that leaves us with no sense of the need for repentance and reconciliation. And then Jesus adds a third requirement is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God and to the covenant he has made with us and faithfulness to others. What a tragedy to stress tithing and neglect the heart of the gospel. But all over the world, there are religious teachers who teach their favorite things, Everything from wealth to health to, you know, environmental concerns to a stress on, you know, realizing your potential. You can be all that you want to be. And they neglect the weightier matters of our faith. Hypocrites, all of them. Number five, woe to them who care more about externals than internals. Matthew 23, 25 to 26, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. The rabbis had intense debates about what makes a vessel clean, but they neglected the heart. They neglected their own hearts as well as the hearts of the people they taught. And what a tragedy it is today when religion cares more about the clothing that we wear or whether we smoke, as opposed to whether you've encountered the life-changing, life-transforming power of Jesus in the gospel, to care about externals and neglect holiness and purity and love of God and love for God. And by living by faith and placing our hopes fully on the glory that will be revealed, And to make a practice of devotion and prayer, all those are internal things. And when religious teachers fail to do these things and to teach these things, they're charlatans. Woe to them. Number six, woe to those religious teachers who hide their own sins by pretending to be what they're not. Verses 27 and 28, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's an awe-inspiring image. A tomb is beautified, and yet within that tomb there are the rotting bodies of the dead. Is it possible for a person to be that way? Yeah, of course it is. And it's an overwhelming temptation for religious leaders. 
And why is that? Because religious leaders, especially pastors, are supposed to be people of holiness. You don't have to be a pastor for very long, and you're going to know how you're supposed to act. So here's the truth. Every pastor goes through times of spiritual dryness, and he experiences temptation the same way that everyone else in his congregation experiences it as well. He knows anger, and at times feels resentful for those who have harmed him. He feels criticism as much as you do when you're criticized, but unlike you, he's not supposed to express any of those feelings. And after a while, every faithful pastor has feelings of hypocrisy and a sneaking suspicion that his life is just simply, it's a sham. You know, years ago, I was speaking at a conference and I came upon a man who told me that he had seen a rekindling of a passion for Christ and for prayer and living authentically before God. And I spoke again that afternoon and I made mention that I had just encountered a brother who had reawakened my own dull heart to again recapture my own passion for Jesus. And when I finished that day, I received a note from someone. It went something like this. If you aren't feeling passion for Jesus right now, why are you even in ministry? And I was stunned, but I also felt trapped. I felt, how could I be anything but a hypocrite in ministry when people demand that I act in a certain way? Jesus wouldn't hear my complaint. He said, regardless of the cost, you've got to pay attention to your inner life. I must never pretend to be what I'm not. And the lawlessness Jesus mentions here is the tendency, while I tell others to submit to God, I find myself not doing it. Oh, God, have mercy on me and on all who are in pastoral ministry. Number seven, woe to those religious teachers who deeply hate the prophets of God. Verses 29 to 36. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, who was murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. You know, it's this last woe that's perhaps the most devastating one. It's simply true that the prophets of Israel were treated miserably. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah escaped the death penalty, but he was thrown into prison. Amos was told to go home and never come back. It just goes on and on. And in the New Testament era, the pattern continues. All the apostles, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death. Our Lord Jesus was crucified. Think of the faithful pastors in the past. Athanasius was banished from the empire, not once, but six times. John Chrysostom was kicked out of his church. Then at the instruction of Queen Eudoxia, had Roman soldiers march him at such a brisk pace to his exile that he died along the way. Luther was hid in a castle so that his enemies would not kill him. Jonathan Edwards was kicked out of his church. Spurgeon was so criticized, so horribly slandered that his wife said that it led to his early death. And yet we memorialize all of these with flowering words. But Jesus says that the unfaithful Pharisees hated the righteous as much as the murderers of the prophets. Their attitude said everything about what they would have done had Jeremiah or Isaiah walked among them. Indeed, it was they who murdered the Son of God. 
Oh, how painful when religious leaders, pastors, or elders are persecutors. But sometimes they are. Woe to them. So let's return to where I began. Why did I say that this is the worst denunciation in the Bible? And by this time, it should be clear. Jesus offers to these false religious teachers no olive branch of grace. He offers only an expectation of wrath. And that's a word of warning to any religious teacher that should feel the draw towards hypocrisy. But that leads me to a last question. Why of all the rebukes of the Bible is this the most harsh of them, reserved for the hypocritically religious? Aren't there so many others out there that are equally as hypocritical as the religious? And the answer is, of course, hypocrisy is not confined to religion or even to Christianity. I'm often amazed that among those who proclaim to care deeply about the environment, many of them, you know, jet around the world in airplanes and drive great big vehicles and live in excessively large houses, and they basically flout the very rules that they expect everyone else to live in. Of course they're hypocrites. They pretend to believe one thing, and then they live the opposite way. But religious hypocrisy is a category by itself. For the religious pretend to know God and to speak for God. And there is nothing in this life more serious than that. You know, many times in my own personal ministry, I've often envied physicians. I said, look, when they fail, you know, all that will cost them is the life of someone. But if I fail to represent Scripture truthfully, both in my words and my actions, I might close the door of the kingdom of heaven in someone's face. Woe to me should that be the case. Oh God, send your spirit to preserve and defend the faithful Christian leaders among us so that we all might live. Thanks for the message, John. You know, I think the idea that teachers will be judged more harshly is a bit ominous, perhaps even discouraging uh, for those that might be considering becoming pastors. What would you say to them? Well, as someone who uh, (laughs) has spent my life as a pastor and continue to teach now, um, let me say this. um, You know, in the end of the day, we are called upon to be faithful to the word that we preach. You know, we must not only preach to others, we have to preach to ourselves. And then beyond that, I'd like to say personally that when I stand before the Lord, I will cling to the cross with all my might, for I'll never cling to what I have done. That's important to remember. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Would you like to receive all of the latest Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt, Bible teaching and encouragement resources directly to your inbox every Monday to Friday? Then be sure to sign up for the free daily audio mail. Every day you'll receive an email containing links to all the daily Bible teaching programs, newest blogs, and all the audio and video messages from Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt. Once you sign up, All the newest from Dr. John and Phil will be one click away. So to subscribe for audio mail, visit backtothebible.ca and at the bottom of the page, you'll find a simple sign-up form. Now all your favorite resources will be sent to you every weekday. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 and we'll make sure you receive the next Back to the Bible Canada audio mail.